I have really enjoyed reading the book, Mornings on Horseback. It's written by David McCullough, and it's about the life of Theodore Roosevelt, Jr. Now, he was an incredible, fascinating president, wonderful man, but this book is largely about his life before the presidency, how he was shaped and molded to become the man to take that office. One of the stories that's covered in the book is about his first marriage. When he was in college at Harvard, he met a beautiful young woman by the name of Alice Lee, who was from Boston, and he fell hard for her. He started courting her, and for a year and a half, he tried to woo her, and finally she would accept. And on February 14th, 1880, they announced their engagement. Well, they would be married that fall, and they moved into the house in New York City with his mother, His father had passed away just a few years before, and he had remained very close to his mother and siblings, and he was overjoyed that his new spouse was just as close to his family, especially to his mother. The two women became dear friends. Well, after college, he entered into politics. He was elected to the New York State Assembly. He would work in Albany at the assembly during the week, and then he would travel home to New York City on the weekends, and he just thought his life was perfect. He loved his wife, and he said that his job was to make her happy. Well, a few years into their marriage, she became pregnant, and they were so excited at the thought of their first child. Well, she was told that the baby would be born in mid-February. Now, Theodore was kind of a romantic, and he just knew that the baby would be born on February 14th, the anniversary of their engagement. And he was so certain of that fact that he was in Albany on February 12th when, unbeknownst to him, his wife went into labor and delivered a healthy baby girl. The next morning, on the assembly floor, Someone brought him a telegram, and it was congratulating him on the birth of a baby daughter. He was ecstatic. He started celebrating, and everyone was congratulating him. He made plans to return home that afternoon. But it wasn't long before he was given another telegram, and this one told him that his wife had become quite ill after the delivery. He returned home immediately, and when he got there, he found that tragedy had struck His mother had thought that she had a cold a few days earlier, but it turns out she was now in bed with typhoid fever. And his wife was dealing with kidney failure after the delivery of the baby. On February 14th, early that day, his mother passed away. And a few hours later, his wife did as well. He was overcome by this tragedy. It was the fourth anniversary of his engagement. It should have been a day of great celebration, and now it was one of profound grief. In fact, on his personal calendar, he crossed out February 14th and wrote beneath it, The light of my life has gone out. He wouldn't be able to speak about his deceased wife. He couldn't mention her name, and he wouldn't allow anyone to talk about her around him. His daughter was christened Alice Lee Roosevelt after her mother and after her death. But 
Theodore could not bring himself to say the name Alice again, and so he referred to his daughter as Baby Lee. Eventually, the grief became too much for him, and he began to withdraw from New York. He took his baby daughter and gave her to his sister for her to raise, and he moved out west for two years. It was just too much for him to handle. He ran off. Now, it was very surprising to me to read that he would do something like that. I know that he had been dealing with so much grief. His father, who he was so close to, had passed away just a few years before, February 9th, 1878. And then on February 14th of that year, his mother and his wife. But he had a baby daughter. And this little girl needed him more than any other person in the world. And he left her. He ran off. He abandoned his baby girl. Now, All of us from time to time will make mistakes. All of us will at one point or another hurt or abandon or avoid the people that we love, those people who need us. This morning, I want to continue on with our sermon series, Running in the Wrong Direction. We've been talking about the times in life where we make mistakes, where we find that we're headed the wrong way. And yet during those times, we hear the voice of God calling us back, reminding us that we are loved. And when we will turn back, and instead of avoiding things, if we will face those things, we will find the strength of Christ to be there to help us overcome our fears, to overcome our guilt, that we can face those things and live a full and meaningful life. Today's scripture passage comes from a time in Jesus' life where he was in Jerusalem facing his crucifixion and his death. He had gathered the disciples together for a celebration of the Passover meal. And during that meal, he took the bread and he reminded them, this represents my body, which will be given for you. He's reminding them that his his life would be taken from him. He took the cup and he said, this represents my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then at one point during that evening, he takes off his outer garment and he ties a a towel around his waist and he kneels down in front of the disciples and he washes their feet. And he says, if I can do this for you, if I as your teacher can serve you, can care for you, then you are called to go out and do this for others. You are called to be there for others, to care for them. That evening, we come to this scripture passage where he leads them to the Mount of Olives, to a place at the base of the Mount of Olives called Gethsemane. The word means oil press. And it was, in fact, a stand of a grove of olive trees. And it was known in that day as a place of of prayer, kind of a quiet garden where people would go and pray. And so Jesus took his disciples there, and, and then he took Peter and James and John, and he took them on in a little farther. And he told them to stay awake, to keep watch, to pray. He retreated off, and he had his time of prayer, and he came back, and he found them asleep. 
Now, these were the disciples who had just been at the Last Supper. They heard him proclaim that he was going to face death. He had just told them he was so burdened by sorrow that he was at the point of death in that moment. And it didn't seem to phase them enough to stay awake. They couldn't even stay awake an hour. What are the things in our lives that we avoid, whether it's because of fear or guilt? There will be times in our lives that we let our loved ones down or people who need us, we will... We will not be there for them. How can we avoid that? I think there are three things that we can discuss this morning. First, I think it's good to ask the question, why do we avoid helping people in need? Why did the disciples fall asleep? I think it's much more than the the simple answer, they were sleepy. I think it's more profound than that. I think they couldn't handle what was going on. Imagine how disconcerting it must have been for them when their leader, their teacher, the one that they believed to be the Son of God, now came to them and said that he was on the point of death because of how much sorrow and anguish he had. What could they do in that time? Jesus had always been the one to care for their needs, to be there for them. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. When the storms would rage on the Sea of Galilee, it would be Jesus who would calm the waters. When the religious leaders would pose questions trying to trip him up, he always knew the right answers. And when they would come across people, the sick and the dying, it was Jesus who would bring healing and life. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. I think it was too much for them to see Jesus in this way. Several years ago when I was a physical therapist working in nursing homes, I started to see that some of the the male patients, the gentlemen who had been strong and independent and successful earlier in their life, but now who were battling strokes or Alzheimer's or dementia, that sometimes they had fewer visitors. And I think it was because their family and friends just couldn't bear to see the ones, their loved ones, that they knew to be so strong, now to be so weak. It's hard. It's so difficult for any of us to see our loved ones suffering from something that changes them from the people that we know them to be. And sometimes it makes us want to run away. I think another reason that we avoid helping people in need is because we just don't know what to say. What can you say to someone who's just been given a terrible diagnosis or they've lost their job? Or what do you say to someone who's lost their spouse? What words can fix that situation? There aren't any. But let me tell you a couple phrases not to use. Please don't tell someone who is in pain that everything happens for a reason. As if to suggest that their pain was planned by God. Please don't tell someone who's suffering that God won't give them more than they can handle. 
as if to suggest that God had given them this pain and they should be grateful and comforted by the fact that he wouldn't overload them to the point that they couldn't handle it. They should be able to handle it. We're trying to bring people to God for comfort, not blame God for their pain and suffering. It doesn't help them or God in those situations to say things like that. If you need to, say something about your heart. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Or you don't have to say anything at all. It's our presence in that moment that makes a difference. Being there with someone speaks the most incredible words to them. It lets them know that they're not alone. It helps them to see that we're keeping watch with them. I think another reason that we don't uh, go to those in need, we don't help them, we avoid them, we run away, is because it's not convenient to us. It's hard for me to believe that it was 15 years ago this year that my grandparents passed away. Now, they were a, a, a huge part of my upbringing, a strong part of my life. I spent so many nights over at their house, and they were just so, much, so formative in my upbringing. Well, 15 years ago, I received a phone call that my grandfather had passed away. He had suffered with Alzheimer's disease for several years, and, and then in a nursing home, and, and then became bedridden, and finally became sick, and he passed away. Well, I was in seminary at the time, and it was the middle of the semester. So my husband Chris and I sat down and we talked about it, and we just didn't think there was any way we could make the trip back to Ohio for his funeral. It would be too costly. It was financially, things were very tight, and, and I was very worried about missing classes. And so that night, I called my grandmother. I told her how much I loved her. I told her how much I hurt for her. And then I told her that we weren't going to be able to make it back for the funeral. And I said, but we're coming home at the end of the semester. We're going to make a special trip. We'll come at the end of the semester, and we'll have plenty of time to visit and be with you, and we'll, we can take our time, and it'll just work out better that way. Well, the night of my grandfather's funeral, my grandmother suffered a massive stroke and, and never regained consciousness. She would pass away two days later, and I didn't get to be with her. Chris and I loaded up the kids, and we drove back to Ohio, and we made it there for her funeral, but I didn't get to be with my grandmother in her time of need. Now, I have to tell you that I know that my grandmother wouldn't want me to linger in guilt or carry that with me, but I have learned an important lesson that if I'm wanting to be there for someone who is in pain and suffering, I need to consider their needs, what's important to them. If we are going to be serious about ministry to those who are in need, we need to put their needs first. This past fall, I had occasion to be with a young couple where the wife was suffering from breast cancer and she had battled it valiantly for quite some time. I had a conversation at one point with the husband, and he was just telling me how grateful they were for all of their friends and family who had been there 
for them in their struggles. He talked about their, all the different people who offered help through her treatments and, and, and caring for their daughter and in the normal responsibilities of life. But he told me that there was one person that he just knew beyond a shadow of doubt that they were with him, that she was present in the midst of their struggles. And it came on occasion that his wife had been going through a treatment and he was going to take her home and then he needed to run and get groceries. But on this occasion, his wife felt particularly ill and she hadn't wanted him to leave. And so he was caught in that moment of the things that he needed to do of caring for his wife and doing the responsibilities. And a friend called him. And instead of saying, call me if you need something, she said, is there anything I can do in this moment that would be of help? Clean, cook, go to the store. And he told her how helpful it would be if, if she just went to the store for them. And, and she had him text the list to her. And he said, I know all these people have been sincere and they've wanted to help, but it's so hard calling somebody and asking for a favor. This person was present with me in that moment, and I knew that they wanted to help. Well, that really struck me because I can't tell you how many different times that I have, in all sincerity, told someone, don't hesitate to call me if I can ever be of help. But the reality of that is that I'm putting the obligation on them to call me. So I've really tried to rephrase how I say that. Is there anything I could do for you right now that would be of help to you? There will be times that the people that we love, people around us have needs, and and we might not know what to say or to do, but we can be there for them. Help them to see that we are keeping watch with them, that we are there with them in their struggles. Second, failure is not the end. This whole sermon series really has been about failure about times that we find ourselves running in the wrong direction, times that we make mistakes and yet are called back by the love of God. Jesus would say to his disciples, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. In other words, he would be crucified and the disciples would run away. They would all abandon him. Now, when he was saying that, he wasn't trying to make them feel guilty. That wasn't the point. He was saying, you will all fall away. But when I have arisen, when I uh, rise again, I will go before you to Galilee. The point of him saying that was not uh, to make them feel bad or not to focus on the, the fact that they would turn away from him, but to remind them not to, to, help, to be held back by guilt. He knew they would feel bad when they abandoned him. And so he reminded, I'll be ahead of you in Galilee. Jesus came to set them free from guilt. And he didn't want anything to prevent them from meeting him there in Galilee. The same is true for us. We will all make mistakes. We will all find ourselves headed the wrong way. And yet when we turn back, we can't let anything, we can't let guilt over our mistakes Keep us from joining Christ in ministry. Christ goes before us. For Theodore Roosevelt Jr., 
to abandon his daughter was a painful mistake that would cause pain and, and, and loss and other circumstances, and yet he wouldn't let it be the defining moment of his life or even his fatherhood. He would move back east, and there he would meet and reacquaint a friendship with a woman by the name of Edith, an old family friend. They fell in love, and they got married, and they brought his then three-year-old daughter to live with them, to be raised in their home and in their family. And Edith and Theodore had a wonderful marriage, full of love, and his daughter would grow up, and she would become a big sister to five additional children. There are great stories that are told about Franklin or about Theodore Roosevelt as president in the White House, making time for all of his children, playing hide and seek, pillow fights, encouraging their love of animals and adventure. He would be there for his children. He would write letters for them whenever travels would take him away. He had finally become the father to them that his father had been to him. He understood the examples of his father always being present for him, and he could now be that for his children. For the disciples, they abandoned Jesus in the garden. Peter would not only fall asleep when Jesus needed him to keep watch and pray, Peter would go on to deny Jesus three different times. And yet, he wouldn't let the guilt of that be the defining moment of his life. He knew that Christ had come to set him free. And he knew that he would come back and meet Jesus and be joined with him in ministry. Peter, James, and John would go on to be leaders of the early church. And they took the examples of Jesus being present in their life, and they would use that in leading the early church. We can't let guilt over our past mistakes prevent us from joining with Christ in ministry. And third, keeping watch means keeping our eyes open in the needs of others. For Jesus and the disciples, the disciples didn't pray there in the garden. They needed to, but they fell asleep. For Jesus, not only did he go off and pray for his own concerns... But I'm convinced that he lifted up the needs of the disciples as well. When you spend time with people, you start to see, you become aware of their needs. To keep watch means to look and and to see the needs of the people around you. I regret that I wasn't there for my grandmother in her time of need. And yet I can't let that be the defining moment of my life. I can go on and care for others in honor of her. In fact, I can look at her life for plenty of examples of how to show others care and support in time of need. My grandmother stayed at the hospital with me when I was getting my tonsils out. She would come to all my school programs and band concerts. She would be the one who bought me my class ring in high school. And then when we moved to Oklahoma... She drove, she and grandfather drove from Ohio to Oklahoma just to see me in my prom dress. She would write letters and send cards to me till the day that she passed away. I knew without a doubt that my grandmother was there for me. But probably the greatest moment that I could sense that, like no other, was 
when I would have breakfast at her house when I'd spend the night. I, I'm someone who, who always kind of gets up early. I don't like lounging in bed because it just seems there's more to do. And so always growing up, I was the first one up in the house except at my grandparents. And there I would wake up and stay in bed because I would listen for my grandmother getting up early. I could hear her footsteps down the hallway toward the kitchen. I'd hear the sound of her slippers on the linoleum tile. Now, their kitchen had two places where the floorboards would creak, and I knew exactly where she was in the kitchen. When she would move from the sink to the fridge to the stove, I'd hear her getting out the pots and pans, and pretty soon I'd be smelling the aroma of bacon in a skillet. It was almost as if my senses were heightened to how much my grandmother was caring for me. In a sense, I was keeping watch over her keeping watch for me. When we spend time with people, we become aware of their needs. It would just be a couple years after my grandmother passed away, I had occasion to be with one of my aunts. And she was telling me a story that happened when I was a little girl, and she was talking to her mom, my grandmother, about me. She asked her, why do you think Wendy comes over to your house all the time? Why do you think she wants to hang out with you, that she spends more time with you, more time than her brothers come over to your house, more time than, you know, some of her cousins? Why does Wendy spend so much time over at your house? And my grandmother said, because she needs me more. Because she spent time with me, she knew how much I needed her in my life. Who needs you today? Who needs you to care for them in their time of need, in their time of pain? It's a moment where we are called to stay awake, to keep watch, and to pray. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.